and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Thanks everyone for joining in today. I'm Brian Doherty, Field Agricultural Engineer with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And for this episode, we're going to be discussing the use of robotics in row crop agriculture. I'm looking forward to the discussion with our guest today, where we're going to talk about a system that deploys bots with various functionality to make weed and cover crop management easier for farmers. Joining me today is Clint Brower. Clint is a third-generation farmer and CEO of Greenfield Incorporated. Clint, thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. So I'm looking forward to our discussion, but before we get into the details, I kind of like to give people a little bit of context here for the listeners. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background and you know how you came up with this idea and how you ended up being a CEO of Greenfield? Sure. I, uh, I grew up in Kansas, farming on both sides of the family. Um, got into, went to K-State, uh, a couple degrees there, went to, to LA, got into the internet. Uh, that was sort of my goal. Got into that, uh, did a lot of startups, uh, big companies inside of big companies, and then proper startups for about 13 years. Then I came back here. Uh, my dad had uh, Parkinson's, and I think it was from uh, herbicides. And um, so set on a journey eventually to uh, see if we could eliminate those. So one thing led to another. And after some amount of time, I wanted to figure out how to do it on no-till and um, said, okay, doing no-till herbicide-free, how do you do that using current tools? And, you know, tried roller crimping and these types of things and said, you know, it just doesn't work well enough to scale, right? And so uh, that's how Greenfield was born. So came up with a pretty simple idea. How do we make sure we don't lose control of a field to pigweed and uh, mare's tail down here in Kansas are, are a serious scourge. How do we not lose control of those if the chemicals are failing? If we had, you know, a couple of weeks of rain or something, we can't get out there with the rig. So what's a problem that every farmer has? And a lot of farmers do run into that problem. So that, that was kind of how Greenfield was born. Okay, let's solve a pretty simple problem here. So you're uh, either manufacturing or working on prototypes for a number of different robotic platforms or bots, as you call them. So can you just uh, give us a little bit of background about what these things look like? How big are they for the listeners who maybe haven't seen one before? Yeah, they're about 24 inches wide uh, in terms of the drive system. Um, They've got uh, four wheels (laughs) and... uh, they're actually skid steers the way they drive right now. And um, what they're doing at the most simplistic level right now is they're literally running um, through the fields at about three and a half miles an hour. And they uh, will deploy up to 10 of them at a given field. And they're they're mowing about a half inch off the ground. And so that cuts the pigweed, it cuts the mare's tail. And we'll do that two or three times during the season. But um, that's the way they, they're about 24 inches wide, 350 pounds. And I'm trying to think how many foot long they are. Actually, 52 inches long, I want to say. So a little over four foot. Are these things running on liquid fuel? Are you are they battery powered? Any plans to go that direction in the future? Um, they are battery powered. Uh, the next machine we're building um, is potentially going to be biodiesel just because the amount of batteries it would take would be, you know, make it a very heavy piece of equipment. But definitely right now we're running off batteries that are swappable. So uh, let's... Get into a little bit more of the details on your weed bot. So you kind of described that. Um, what you know? How does that operate in the field? How are you controlling these things? You know, give us some details there. 
Well, that's the trick. Um, the trick is how do you differentiate the crop from the uh, where you want to run from the weeds? And um, there's a few things I've observed. Um, one is uh, most of the weed problems are not in row, right? And, you know, everyone got all excited about we need to recognize every single plant and, and solve all these problems. And my fundamental recognition was the in-row problem is the least of our problems. And how can we do something simple enough and low cost enough that it can scale immediately to solve the majority of the problem? And so we run a process of we drone scan the fields, we recognize where the rows are, and then the robots are very good at running very straight. Um, we have a small machine trying to run within an inch variance at three and a half mile an hour over an uneven terrain is no small feat, I can assure you. And uh, that's exactly what we do. And then we do some other sensing to make sure that if our imagery is off or the GPS is off, which happens with the best GPSs, period, and we know this because we get the data off farmers' tractors, um, that we make sure that we can correct for that in the field as well. So that's, you know, a real high level sort of how the technology works, how the guidance works. When we go into a field, we, we then somehow we have to turn, Right. And so we actually, when we go into the field, we tell the farmer, hey, we're going to go and we're going to cut a turn zone. And that turn zone's at least 52 inches long, right? So we can turn on, and we turn pretty much on a dime. But that's how they come in and out of the field as well is on those turn zones. And so that's how they get to the end. They turn very sharp and they go normally right down the next row unless another one of the swarm has already uh, run that row. And uh, and then we bring them to the ends when we're going to swap batteries and stuff like that. So that's kind of how the service works. So just curious, what's your battery life like on these? You know, how many hours can you run on a charge? Yeah, I mean, we're running what we've seen so far is six to eight hours, um, but I don't think we've uh, hit the ideal scenario yet. I think it's going to be somewhere around five to six hours, but the swap takes us only a couple minutes. So it's not the biggest deal in the world. And uh, you've also got what you call a grass bot in development. So how does that differ from the weed bot? Differs quite a bit. So what, you know, I described before was, okay, in-row weeds are not the biggest problem in the world. Um, but still, my goal is, of course, to get rid of all the chemicals. So how do we get rid of the burn down and the residual, uh, especially on a no-till environment, which is what we focus on? And so GrassBot solves that problem. And it basically runs and defines where you're going to plant uses plant material and, and a patented process we've been working with for three years now. And it basically allows you to uh, eliminate any burn down, any residual. And so then when you work with that, um, that combined with our current robots or this bot alone that's coming, um, potentially can eliminate herbicides without tillage, which is was the number one achievement we sought for this company. And so it's mechanical. Everything's mechanical. I don't think you need to recognize every weed. Uh, we saw it test out and hold 51 days with no burn down or herbicide this last spring, um, starting measurement in March. And we were measuring all the way through July, different segments. So, you know, we're pretty excited about that. And uh, that's that's the next gen coming along. So we have single row versions of that. The multi row, hopefully we'll have something running uh, sometime next year. Yeah, that sounds like pretty impressive weed control. So you've also got a cover crop seeder in development called the Cover Crop Bot. So you've got a number of different kind of <laughs> platforms here that you're working off of. So yeah, and I, and I want to clarify with the Grass Bot, we've tasted, we have tested one use case. We've tested it planting, you know, soybeans or milo, you know, when you would plant in a window in South Central K 
Kansas. So I just want to be clear. I haven't tested in Iowa. We haven't tested in Minnesota. We haven't tested, you know what I mean? All the mm-hmm. different yep. and scenarios. So I just want to be very clear about that. But um, the cover crop bot comes about just simply, again, I'm, I'm you know, trying to go chemical free on no-till. And of course, that makes me to some extent regenerative. And so we also like to graze animals on our, our, our farm down here. So in Kansas, and so the idea is the more growth I can get of cover crops, and I, I understand there's many other reasons to do it, but the most exciting thing to me is then I have a f- virtually almost free way to feed my animals in the winter, um, you know, or ruminants, which in my case right now are sheep. And so the sooner I can get those cover crops in the ground as the, the cash crops finishing, the better off I am. So um, this year we'll be testing uh, this with, uh, uh, it, ha- it attaches to the weed bot. And we'll be testing it on my fields and maybe some others. And in terms of uh, sorghum that's finishing out, uh, potentially corn, uh, we'll see. There's a few things we need to suss out there this winter down in Texas. Soybeans are a big unknown. We have some more testing to do there simply because you harvest soybeans right on the ground. And so, you know, we're not quite sure how that's going to work yet. So any just initial thoughts on how many acres you might be able to cover with something like that or how that would compare to... You know, say using a drone or a high boy or something like that for seed and cover crops. Yeah, that that's right. That's uh, that's what we look at is uh, drone and high boy. And the way we look at it is, you know, it's like anything else. Can you get a little better soil to seed contact? And so if you do that, then you can use less seed, which drives down your cost and you're going to get better stand and it's going to have better rooting and all this. So that's really our goal with that is to cut down on the amount of seed and, and get just a better stand for it in an earlier time than you can with those other methods. So that, that really is the big advantage. In terms of timing, I don't know if we can do an acre an hour this next year or not with them. You know, that's what we can do with the weeding bot uh, per robot, right? So if we put 10 out there when we're weeding, we can do 10 acres an hour, right? We're targeting this next year and I believe we'll hit it. But when you got to refill grain and these types of things, it's going to take you a little more time. Plus, you're adding a decent amount of weight to a small chassis. So those are things we're developing and working through. But um, it should get there, you know, at some point. And and again, once we start running more on night ops, which these robots are are getting to the point we're pretty capable of running at night, then you can really cover some acres if you're running, you know, 20 hours every 24, right? Yeah, that would certainly add to the throughput there. So. Got one more here. You're also playing around with the idea of a bot that would do soil testing, which I thought was really interesting. Can you just kind of tell us how that would work? Yeah, sometimes I feel like I got the order of things wrong on this, everything we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As you might imagine, the most nerve wracking thing you can do is design a robot that runs down a field pretty fast. It's small with spinning blades. And uh, I think if I was going to start this again, I would have designed a soil testing unit uh, at the beginning because <laughs> you can you don't need to worry about cutting down the crop uh, if you're going to test in the off season. Right. Or if you're just have cover crop out there or whatever, you're not as worried about. But, um, yeah, we're working. Uh, we've got several partners, uh, one we've been working with for a while and a couple were in discussion. But the, but the idea is that. Um, you know, most guys are at least grid sampling at this point, but it costs a little bit of money, right? Um, you're out there every three to five years, roughly. I think a lot of farmers are doing that. And so how can we do that so it's a little, little more often and maybe you get a little more tuned prescription into what you're doing? The challenge with soil testing, of course, is you got to pull the sample and, and you've got to ship it off somewhere. But there are folks who are making probes now that you don't have to ship it off anywhere. And so it's early, 
right, in the development of those probes and how calibrated and where they're at. But that's exactly what we plan to do is be able to go out there and, and bore into the ground with these robots in an automated way. And you could kind of pre-plan sort of like what we already do. Um, and an agronomist could drop it off or we're partnering with MKC Co-op down here. So their agronomists could drop off, you know, a bot at a field every so often and just let it rip. And it runs around, bores in the ground, puts the probe down, takes the reading digitally and moves on. You don't have to grab the soil. Uh, the stage we're at is taking those probes, testing pulling the soil sample, comparing um, that type of deal. So it's it's far from a finished product, but I think that those types of things are going to become pretty common over the long haul. Yeah, that could be a real game changer for soil testing if you can work out the kinks on that. Any issues with these bots getting stuck? There's a, another company that I'm aware of with a similar technology, and they've gone to tracks. So what are, what's your thoughts on the tracks versus tires? Uh, yeah, look, we started with tires and I'll tell you why, to be blunt, it's simpler, um, you know, simpler to maintain and deal with in these early stages. And that was the rationale. Um, you know, you want to limit your variables when you're developing something a little bit complex. And so, uh, we certainly are working on track versions coming, uh, as as well. Um, you know, there are advantages of tires, uh, you know, some, some advantages as well, right? A lot less maintenance. Um, but, um, we're certainly looking at tracks in terms of getting stuck, you know, one, we typically just run on no-till fields. And so you have a huge advantage there already, right? You've got a pretty good secure bottom. Um, you know, the soil has a lot more structure to it than if you plowed or, or dissed or chiseled or whatever you did. And that helps a lot. I, I think we all know that with big equipment even, right? So, um, and then the second thing is, you know, they are small enough and the absolute weight out there in the field is not that bad. The Really, the only time we sometimes run into troubles, if it is pretty wet, is on the turn, right? That's where you, you have your biggest power grab is when you're turning the machine and you're trying to go into the very next row and it's a little bit wet. So that's where we can run into issues. But, um, you know, really getting stuck hasn't been a big issue. I'll tell you what has been a big issue for the most part. Though I think we've resolved now is going through coyote holes. <laughs> uh, we have those in fields down here. And you go through that with a small machine uh, a couple of years ago, we, we flipped one upside down. And uh, now they can pretty much navigate and go through that. But tracks will help with that. The other thing that we see that you don't see as much up in Iowa is we have pivot tracks down here. And uh, as the season goes on and the more water they're applying, the deeper the pivot tracks become. And so that is actually our number one reason to put tracks on them is so we can run on irrigation and run over those pivot tracks in most scenarios. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about the the pivot tracks, but yeah, we've certainly got some challenges in some places with gophers and badger holes and that sort of thing here too. So, <laughs> yeah, it was one of the great achievements last early last season. We went out and farmer, you know, we just kind of ran out and we found some coyote hole and I said, just let it rip guys. Let's see what happens. And it went right through it and it barely, I, I don't even think it hit crop on that one, you know, going through, I mean, you're watching the camera and all of a sudden you see the sky, right? And, uh, but it went right through it. And, and so that's good. Um, uh, but these things take a beating, right? I mean, they're ag equipment and, uh, you know, you want to keep them as simple as possible. You know, there's, there's incredible complexity involved in these. Uh, we've, we've figured out there are sound signatures that basically prohibited our GPS signal from working correctly at one point, several years ago. So we figured out what those signatures look like and we filter those out. Right. And so and you have wire, you've got high voltage and low voltage signals um, running in a very small area. So those are the types of things you deal with. Um, you know, what's a wire? What's in your your circuit board? 
how do you troubleshoot? I mean, it's uh, really the small machines in a lot of ways are, are, are not easy to build, um, you know, and to get them work correctly. You know, you don't have to have the huge die cast facilities that a uh, large tractor in that and that that part's an advantage. But uh, when you compact a lot of electronics and guidance into a smaller area, uh, you've got some things to solve. Yeah, so just kind of looking at a big picture here, it's really cool sounding tech, but, you know, why not just keep doing what we're doing now? Why would a farmer want to go to a system where they would use bots? Yeah, I mean, look, I designed them because they solve a problem that's unsolvable currently. And so, you know, how do you if if you can't get out there at the spray rig for two weeks, what are you going to do about pigweed? Right. And because it's becoming resistant and your costs are skyrocketing. And so at the very worst, it just puts a stop to that. Right. You're not going to lose control of the field. You're not going to have to harvest soybeans on the ground and take in pigweeds that are two inches in diameter. So, you know, it fixes that problem. And then the grass bot, you know, the reason we're targeting that is chemicals out of food. I don't I don't think anyone wants to use the chemicals, but it's the best thing we got. Right. And I don't I don't by the way, I don't fault the chemical companies, you know, for doing what they do. They we've driven down the cost of production. It's allowed no till to 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 come into existence. And yes, I want to get rid of them. I think they are are not ideal, and I think it's a human health hazard. But um, right now, that's the best way for us to raise high-yielding food, period. And so um, if we can devise a way to have the benefits of no-till without all of those herbicides, then it allows all of us, whether they're engineers or chemists or farmers, to to focus on uh, other attributes of farmers uh, farming, whether it's nutrient density of the crops or um, different types of crops for you know, to to fight climate change or whatever we do, right? And so it's it's ag. It's always going to change, right? Uh, just the minute you think you got it figured out, it has to change on you. And that's kind of what makes it fun too, right? Yeah, well, you've got a pretty compelling business case there if you can uh, help uh, reduce chemical usage for sure. So what's your business model here? Are you envisioning your company would own these bots and you would go out and provide this as a service? Are you going to sell these to farmers or they would have their own? What are you thinking? Well, we've already been charging farmers for a couple of years down in Kansas. And so we're, you know, growing a little bit slow right now as we work out kinks. But uh, I think 2024, we're going to explode on our growth curve. And and the model that works is, look, I am a farmer. Um, you know, I've also built supply chain, too. And and so I kind of understand the decent things here. And to me, uh, we devised it uh, as a robotics as a service. And so, and we've also worked with uh, retail. We're partnered with Ag Retail. So we're partnered with MKC Co-op where we're located. Uh, they're in our region, pretty large grain cooperative. And so it's, it literally comes down to, do you want to contract a spray rig or do you want to contract Greenfield, right? And so we're on a per acre basis uh, each time we run. And so it's a contract they they sign and and then we we go out there as needed. Uh, to run it. So what I like to say to farmers is, look, you know, we're going to make sure you don't lose control of the field and we take what can become a highly variable cost and we make it fixed, right? Anyone who's farmed long enough, at least down here, I can't speak for Iowa, knows if if you lose control of that field, what happens is you end up spraying just to try to slow them down, right? And you you can spiral out of control on your costs very quickly. And so we put a cap on that. So that's the way I see it. And that way the farmer's not out, they don't have to go try to capitalize the robot. It's just out of their operating note and it's slides in and can supplement or, or replace part of the herbicide bill. 
So you mentioned uh, scaling up quite a bit in 2024. I realize you're in Kansas and, you know, we're a ways away here in Iowa. But just any thoughts on when you might be able to move into this kind of upper Midwest area with these systems and, and tackle fields on a larger scale? You know, I... I don't know. It's it's interesting. There's an entire other side to our business, and that is that we are starting with work with uh, food companies, consumer packaged goods, and so they can you know talk about how the robots are running on their fields to reduce chemicals and meet their ESG goals. Some of that, you know, we can't grow everything that all these guys want growing down there in South Central Kansas. Some crops just don't like the climate, right? And so uh, some of those deals, you know, are going to push us uh, further north. Uh, earlier than we would off uh, just organic growth and farmer demand for services. And so um, that remains to be seen. But obviously, you guys have a a pretty awesome climate for quite a few crops up there. And so um, that might jumpstart moving further north much faster. So any uh, major engineering obstacles that you're still working on that you kind of have to sort through to really scale this up? Or do you think you got the system kind of dialed in and it's just kind of tweaking around the edges at this point? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything major. It's um, We are rewriting a, a fair amount of our software right now because I think this this happens to every software startup at some point. Um, the guy who created the company with me was unbelievable, 10X programmer and just brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. He wrote half a million lines of code by himself. But when you do that and you're learning as you write it, you end up with code that I like to say is, is a book without chapters, right? And so you prove the thing. Every company runs through this, right? Uh, We have an engineer who was at a major car company that's still using legacy code from 40 years ago in the foundation, and and it makes it very hard for them to innovate. And so I made the hard decision this past year and said, we're going to blow away a good chunk of this code and we're going to rewrite from scratch um, so that we have a firm foundation so we can expand quickly. And when we want to add features, we can do it quickly because we completely understand what we have. And so uh, we completely understand what it needs to be done, the logic and everything we do and how we do it. So it's just a matter of writing the writing the code at this point. So that's the biggest thing we're doing right now. Uh, mechanically, I feel pretty good. Um, the guy who runs mechanical engineering for us built and designed all the Hustler mowers for the last 25 years for Excel Corp. Um, he's great. And so um, I feel really good about that. We just beat out Boston Dynamics uh, for our head of electrical engineering. Uh, we have Elon Musk, former head of recruiting now, recruiting for us. Uh, we'll announce very soon one of the top execs at SpaceX uh, joining our team as an advisor. We've got really a head of steam bringing on great engineers. And by the way, the, the tuning and the changing will never, never end, right? The more hours we get, the more things we'll learn. And it's another argument to do robotics as a service versus selling to the farmers. We want to find those problems before they do, right? And I'm not a patient man mechanically, by the way. <laughs> That's the other reason. <laughs> so I know how angry I would get. And it, it it is kind of funny, like when we're out there watching the robots and when something goes wrong, the farmers the last couple of years are with me. They end up kind of, you know, saying to me like, hey, it's all right, man. Things break. <laughs> I get more upset than they do. Um, but um, yeah, we're getting there. And one key thing is we're adding right now the ability to run in Texas in the off season. We found out that there's some crops down there that we run on that 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 are in the winter months. And that really is going to accelerate what we're doing. And and I, I got to tell you that I wish I'd have discovered that first off two years ago. But that really is a game changer. And I'm really excited. I think the guys that have the specialty robots operating out in California and this kind of stuff on lettuce and onions and these things, they have a real advantage in that they have pretty good weather year round to develop on. And we haven't had that advantage till now. 
kind of want to get your thoughts on what you see for the future. Do you think these unmanned type systems like this are going to be doing most of the work in the future or will this remain more of a niche market opportunity? I think wherever you have structured farm work, um, you can automate it to some extent. It really just um, at some point it becomes a safety thing you have to make sure is thought through properly. So, you know, at scale, right? Unstructured farm work is always going to happen. And so if you're talking about, I need to move a hay bale from here and dump it into this lot over here with a cow, I think, you know, we're a long ways away from people figuring out how to predict and structure that because farming will always have the great variable, which is weather. And that will always change what you're trying to do on a given week beyond what you thought you were going to be doing on a given week. But for row crop farming, which is is inherently structured, uh, I think this change is going to come pretty fast. Yeah, I see a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement around this type of technology for sure. So covered a lot of ground there, had a good discussion. Anything else that we didn't get to that you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just add, I mean, the interesting thing is what we're doing with some of these folks now through MKC, they're creating sort of a backbone for our ingredient supply chain. And so, you know, for example, we have Milo um, for a pet food company and White Milo for a human food company. This past year, we harvested and, and, and the farmer gets a premium for that and our robots run on it. And they can talk about that and the reduction in chemicals and ESG goals and all this kind of thing. And so uh, I really I'm excited about that. And that's where we're a bit different. Right. We're not reducing the amount of herbicides. We're not we're saying our goal is zero. Right. And we're not working with tillage. We're headed towards no till and everything we do, because I really do believe that that farming will go mostly no till. I mean, there'll be some strip till and stuff mixed in. And so that that excites me. I think it's a chance for us with the early adopters to give them a premium uh, to work with us and uh, really kind of get this market and reconnect farmers and consumers in a positive way on broad acre farming. I think there's a lot of dispersions being casted both ways and it's all unwarranted. It's uh, just completely about cost. And so if you can come out and solve some of these problems and keep the cost down, then I think we've done something to reestablish that trust. You know, I can tell consumers, I mean, having moved back, my favorite part of my job, and I just got off call right before this, is, is talking to farmers. And my dad used to do the same thing, and I could see why he loved it. It's just, it's fantastic to listen to what they're doing. And like I said, they're, they're great to work with. I mean, two years ago when these things were having serious problems, farmers standing there going, hey, man, you're getting better. Just hang in there, right? I can tell you from being in the entertainment industry in L.A., you don't show up and it doesn't go well. They ain't saying that to you. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> And so it's really, it's really enjoyable. That's my favorite part of the job, to be honest with him. Excellent, Clint. So thanks so much for being on the podcast today to share your information about your Greenfield bots. If you'd like to learn more or see some videos of the bots in action, you can go to greenfieldincorporated.com. You can also find Greenfield on Twitter at Greenfield Bots or search for at Greenfield Robotics on Facebook. And if you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating or feel free to drop us a note at engineeryourfarm at gmail.com if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes. You've been listening to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Engineering Your Farm.